0: Welcome to Machine Learning. Well, recap for this week. So, uh, I guess it's been really a rough week for machine learning because I've been so busy at work, I haven't actually been able to uh, get uh, a lot of my machine learning education in progress. But I have, uh, I did get some more on the time series. And time series is kind of challenging. It would seem like it's really easy, but it's not uh, really that easy. Um, uh, You know, it's understandable, but there's a lot of steps to understanding how to uh, work with time series, especially with pandas. So one that I I was able to understand this morning was, uh, uh, let's say you you start off with... uh, some data that's uh, aggregated at a, at a quarterly level. So you'd have four quarters per year, and that'd be uh, every three months would represent a quarter. And then um, you can uh, set a, for that same time period, you can create a, um, a, a weekly range, a date range, and uh, let's say you, uh, you're going to do it uh, 52 weeks. So you'd set up 52 weeks, and then you'd have a start, start date, uh, and possibly, well, you would already know the end date, so you could just do a start date, and then that would correspond to your quarterly time period. <clears throat> so you have a, a quarterly window, and then you have now a weekly window. And then you can re-index the uh, weekly with the quarterly data. And uh, and then what happens is every, every, uh, you can see where the quarters data falls in place where on each week And then uh, you can either do backfill or forward fill to interpolate all the null values for all the weeks in between. And then you can plot it out. And that's, uh, it's, um, uh, that resampling uh, can also be done with interpolation. So uh, that's where I stopped this morning was in the interpolation part. But when you look at it, a lot of the data, you, a lot of times you have data that's missing and you have to use, uh, especially with time series, you have to use some sort of interpolation. Uh, otherwise, your your graphs look kind of funny. It, it'll, uh, uh, had that happen yesterday when I was plotting out some stocks is that uh, uh, for some reason, I don't know if it didn't trade on a certain day where other stocks did trade or or what happened, but uh, it went to zero on some of those days. And and so uh, it could have been an error in my merging. Uh, I had everything indexed on the date. And uh, and then when I did my concatenate uh, between the different stocks, so I could do a comparison between the stocks, there might've been something that got off out of sync on one of the dates and uh, wasn't able to properly merge. And so, uh, that, that, that for that day, it was showing zero when everything else was showing values. So didn't quite understand what happened there, but, um, what you can do, uh, if you don't want that effect on your, your graph is you can do, uh, a backfill which is going to take the previous uh, next days are yeah so it'll take the next days value based on the frequency and it'll backfill the null uh, null or the nan amounts so I as I was looking at that I was thinking well you know sampling and resampling up sampling down sampling all those are are uh smoothing techniques that you can use uh to get your your data more uh regular and uh and then you through visualization you can start to uh, understand what was going on in the behavior of the data and that's what you really want to study is what is the behavior that you're seeing from the data and then see if you can correlate that behavior into other studies or where or, or they're gathering more data uh, in that aspect of the field. So use it as, a, as an indicator and then go and see if there's uh, support for that behavior. I really think that uh, these type of analytics is going to enter into a lot more discussion You know about what what the data actually means. And so, you know, you, you can have hundreds of people looking at the same data and drawing different, hopefully drawing some conclusions or even different conclusions, and then trying to, to uh, uh, determine whether or not those conclusions are true or not uh, by doing the null hypothesis So gathering the, the data and doing some inference logic uh, to see if there's any statistical significance by examining p-values, and uh, and then drawing whether or not that hypothesis is true or not, so, uh, meaning that there's correlation. So once you find there's correlation, then you know that that gives you some some indication that you're going in the right direction. It's all. It's kind of like I would say. Uh, You know, you're driving along and you're looking for a destination. You know, you're kind of going in the right direction, but you're looking for signs that kind of give you that reassurance that you are. And I think a lot of data science is like that. You're not really certain when you start off what the results will be. Uh, But as you get into the data and start understanding how things are, you start seeing how things are segmented. uh, And then you start doing comparatives and I think that's where your real value is is when you're comparing things. Uh, and then you can kind of see relative strength and weaknesses. Well, and that does not mean that at that uh, it will always be that way because at certain points in time things might uh, change and accelerate. I always like those uh, graphs where it shows you over time how maybe one company gains strength over another. <clears throat> if you look at the rise of electric cars, it it really makes you wonder why the car companies uh, didn't see that trend and uh, move quicker into the electric uh, vehicle market and why Tesla has just dominated that market by building large manufacturing plants, automating those plants, and then uh, selling these really high-cost cars uh, to the consumer. And the consumer has enough money that they're willing to pay for those vehicles. So it's like the new luxury vehicle, and there's a lot of there's enough wealth that uh, that people can afford to buy them. It's just uh, phenomenal to me. Um, and some of those some of the cars are almost half the cost of a home, and, and that is uh, amazing. But then, you know, you look at what the value that is offered, you know, you have a fully self-driving vehicle to some extent. Uh, it's all electronic, high-tech gadgetry, uh, nice style. And the people I know that drove Teslas, they, they think it's really cool, you know, the handles that extend out the, uh, the uh, driving capability. But when I was in the car, uh, the owner of the car didn't realize the curve was higher than normal and he ran into it. Uh, it and I guess the, the, the store, for whatever weird reason, uh, had a really high curve and he ran into the, uh, the, the sidewalk when he was parked in his car. So the car didn't have detectors that would stop from running into that barrier and maybe you didn't have it on the automated mode but it was still it wasn't running continuously and that's uh, uh, that made me think about the possibility that automation should never be shut off it should always be running on continuously and learning the daemon uh, theory of things is that your, your PDA shouldn't be just sitting idle, but it should uh, be working all the time, learning uh, about its environment around it, uh, you know, training its neural nets. And you know, you may think, well, my device doesn't have neural net, but uh, it won't be long before neural nets are embedded into every uh, next generation handheld device. And uh, And as software upgrades come in, that the software operating system will use more of the AI to do uh, decisions for managing your email communications, for finding out, doing searches, uh, you know, having things kind of like prepared, uh, anticipating what you might be interested in based on uh, behavior usage of the device and, and what's going on around them, you know. Uh, And, and these things might be subtle, how the, the AI introduces the information. Subtle is like King. Instead of blurting out, you know, hey, there's a cell over there, maybe it uh, has a little uh, ticker symbol that you know flashes across the top that says, you know, uh, Lowe's is having a cell on lumber. And it knows that you, you do a lot of home improvements, so, you know, it kind of tips you off that there's something. That valuable there uh, I know that uh, for example we have some friends that went to Dickie's and uh, they, they had uh, got a free sandwich so then they gave us the sandwich free coupon and we went in and got our, our free sandwich and uh, got our drink and our pickle and free sandwich and it was kind of interesting to uh, because, you know, they had been aware and they, they had got a bargain and, and they were kind of sharing that with us and we utilized it. That's what I'm proposing that the AI will do in the future is it'll be kind of like your friend. It, it'll, it'll let you uh, be aware of where there might be some bargains or things that might catch your interest that might bring you into a store where you hadn't been before we had eaten at Dickie's before in Texas but it, uh, we had heard about that, that that restaurant from some other friends of ours and family but we hadn't been there uh, for a long time and, uh, and so that recommendation was nice and uh, it just uh, provided us Provided as, a, you know, an opportunity to utilize uh, that coupon. Well, thinking about where things could be used in AI, I didn't get a chance to look at the internal combustion engine how they might be using AI, but, uh, uh, you know, I was thinking about, I was watching this, this, uh, I was watching this YouTube about how planes, uh, you know, said, book your, your uh, plane ticket for, you know, trip for March. And then it showed these, these planes on the, on their approach as they landed and uh, they they had uh, some crosswind, and they didn't quite know how to land the plane. It was it was kind of uh, scary. They they didn't crash the plane, but when they came in, uh, you know, it was a hard landing, and it kind of you know teeter tottered a little bit. And then some of them actually turned around and went on the side. On the side, the wings were hitting the runway and uh, so that makes you wonder in in those cases uh, where you have that high variability with maybe a a crosswind and you're trying to to land the plane uh, how the AI would have performed or if it was AI that was doing the, the landing and it would have required in this case maybe a skilled pilot to have the plane slightly turned into the crosswind, and at the last moment straighten out the wing and land. Uh, you know, what was it about the approach that the machine was not able to understand? Why was it why was it descending at a fast rate, uh, causing it to bounce on the runway when it landed? At that point you know it was kind of a balancing act to keep the plane uh, from flipping over so what are what you know how would an AI and reinforcement learning uh, possibly be applied there to learn how to uh, land a plane in a strong crossway so you know if you have uh, thousand or a million lands that are successful but you know they don't have crosswinds and then you introduce a crosswind and it has a near collision. Uh, do you divert a lot of attention to training the neural net on how to land in those crosswinds? Or do you just look at the statistics and say, well we've had a million landings and we had a near fatal crash on you know, maybe eight, eight out of uh, a million flights. And those, those numbers are better than uh, if, uh, plane, plane landings by pilot. So uh, it's, it's just one of those things that were, you know, numbers, statistics might uh, be an inhibitor to, to do an improvement. But on the other hand, maybe the companies feel that they the AI should be capable of landing in a crosswind. Uh, they divert uh, a lot of attention to uh, building uh, the neural net with capabilities to land in the crosswind. Also, it's be really interesting to see if we have uh, you know, we have AI in dogfight, AI in car racing. Uh, you know, there's oftentimes malfunctions in uh, high-risk high uh, aerial stunts where they come in and do, you know, like uh, the Blue Angels. What if in the fu- future the Blue Angels are all AI robots? And, uh, and you have uh, them doing aerial maneuvers and calculated uh, uh, turns and dives and flying off the ground very sophisticated moves but it's all done by AI so we have to change kind of our thinking in terms of what uh, what AI will be capable of because it's, it's coming fast and you know there is going to be a lot of air just like with all software there is air and uh, you have to have a feedback loop and then you improve on the feedback loop increasing the quality of your um, so it uh, it um, there's also the possibility of uh, uh, AI of the entertainment. You we know, always do a study of Netflix and. Disney and you know some of the big media companies and how they're performing. And uh, one of the things that uh, they they're using is you know they're they're, they're predicting which uh, which shows will will be big, like WandaVision or uh, uh, The Mandalorian, and people watch those series and they really like them. And because it has kind of a box office feel to the movie, and so the effect on that is is that uh, you know their subscription counts go up, and so um, one of the things that I found a little bit frustrating last night is I was using the voice recognition to find a movie. But I was looking for a movie called uh, Quest for Fire and uh, couldn't find it. And I was a little frustrated. Uh, and when I did the search, I couldn't find it. But it was like before that, I was you know, just looking through my recommended list, couldn't find that. Uh, I always find that the media navigation is a little bit lethargic. You know, it's always hard to find movies that would be really good. I, I, I had a movie that we were going to watch a uh, previous week, but I went to look for it and I couldn't find it. And, uh, and I didn't have any history search, you know, it would have been nice to just say, Hey, show me the list of movies that I searched last week for. Cause you know, sometimes when you find a movie, uh, you know, if, you, if you're, if you're uh, intent on it, you, you will put it in a watch list and then you can watch it later. Sometimes you just want to know what movies you found, you know, and then you're like, hey, you know, maybe I want to go back and see that movie and uh, maybe the AI could uh, just show you a list of movies that you had previously searched. know, it's trying to figure out recommendations. So you watch a movie and then it says, okay, based on the movies that you watch, here's some of the movies that you might really like to see. And, uh, uh, and how does that service impact your, your feeling about that particular media provider? Do you feel like that media provider is uh, trying to win over your business and uh you know you like it or do you feel it more like it's a utility like a telephone bill so you make those payments every month there's a lot of times where i'll say to my wife you know why do we pay for this media when we don't even use it and then she'll have some rebuttal like uh you know Maybe when we have the grandkids over, we'll want to watch it. Or, you know, it's it's more that you want to have that that media available for situations where uh, you, you want to have entertainment. Well, last night we had friends over and we were watching uh, the Jane Goodwill uh, Goodwill, yeah, and uh, sh- about chimpanzees. It one of the things that I I had. I had uh, re- realized a little while ago is that the chimpanzees were not necessarily a very peaceful species of animal. I mean, they had uh, gang warfare, where you know different chimpanzees were killed. They had uh, they fight over the food. She figured out that they fight over food, and uh, and so she uh, was able to set up a food box where they can go to the food box get the food and leave Um, and then that reduced the uh, fighting over food but you know my dogs if they think the other dog is trying to steal its food they'll fight and and, uh, you know there's a lot of aggression Uh, now I haven't had any injuries because I've stepped in and said no you won't do that but uh, we, we then have, make sure that the dogs know that, you know, it's not allowed for one dog to steal another dog's food. And so, you know, they stop doing that. But, um, they, you know, dogs are real interesting. They watch for little signs of, uh, you know, like maybe the other dog is looking too intently at the food that they're eating. And, you know, that makes them nervous. And, they, and then they'll bark out at them. Growl, and I guess if you were to think about it instinctively in nature, if they don't do that, if they don't if they don't establish kind of the pack uh, ranking, that uh, other dogs would take their food away, and they would starve to death. So that li- they literally have to fight or growl to protect their food. Uh, so that's you know what. Uh, I think MIT once proposed the idea of a social computer and it was based on the uh, Wolf uh, Alpha Wolf theory and, of sociality and uh, I would say it would be kind of like the deep space night Cardassian computer you know you'd have to establish some level of dominance in order to gain access to the machine and then while you're working with the machine you're you're constantly establishing your strength and uh, uh, i always thought that that was kind of an interesting uh, uh, aspect or view about computers with the Cardassians and, and then the, the other group the Asians I think they were called and they were a more peaceful group of people so We haven't seen any major breakthroughs in technology. Everything seems to be moving you know, very similarly to what we've seen in the past. Uh, API is still really big, lots of work that's being done with uh, APIs and companies that haven't had publicly facing APIs are now in a crisis and they're in a hurry to build a public facing API. And it's really interesting how good PowerShell is for dealing with hierarchical data um, so I had I had uh, been working with the labor chart and they have projects and they have roles and a role as a person and a job title and so I was looking through the projects for uh, trying to do a Determination of what had changed on the labor chart side versus the, the staging data that I was building, and I was do, doing comparisons by uh, the where object. So I built a list of objects, which could be nested uh, nested list, and uh, I was then able to use the uh, the dot operator to access my sub list. And so it's really nice because the full power of json then is uh is expressible inside of powershell now the only downside to this is that the where dash object where i then i can set my filter criteria for what i'm looking for was not fast it was extremely slow and you know i've got a really fast machine with four core and and uh, you know 16 gig of RAM and it was slow and um, so then I was doing a search on the internet and I found that they have a where dash object fast And uh, the reason why is because they they know that uh, object lookup is slow and it's probably because it's doing full scans for each lookup and full scans are, are slow Uh, so they needed a way to to build the speed on that uh, either through a bee tree or some sort of faster sorting well these are uh, things that are important To business, to find, to find technology that meets your business needs, and I, I, I do like that uh, capability. You know, my script is actually really big. Uh, working on it for several months now, and you know, it doesn't have a compiler, and so that that's a, a fantastic tribute to the editor, uh, the PowerShell. Power, uh, shell editor that you can write these huge scripts that are error free and it has try catch in it and I can see when the, you know things fail and I've been actually thinking about ways in the code to have verifi- uh, verifiability you know so when you're running these complex scripts and you know, like yesterday I was talking about uh, pipes, but, you know, having the capability to detect um, when a condition occurs and split the pipe. So maybe in a condition you might go to one table and do a, a transaction. In another condition you might go to another table. Or, you know, um, certain conditions occur maybe you want to pop do different actions so how do you get from the theory of pipes to uh, to an architecture of tasks <clears throat> so you if you have then kind of like this workflow that you have on airflow so you can set up kind of a object-oriented graph and then based on certain conditions then you will traverse the graph differently and you have some sort of visual interface that shows you what the actions were that uh, were taken by the the script so this uh, DAX approach to workflow is very appealing to me Just something I was thinking of, but most of my stuff is sequential. But then, you know, there's some things where I've been thinking about that, uh, um, where might be more conditional where the, you might have to have a graph and it it would be, need to be rather than have an if else statements, uh, that you have it in the form of objects. So it's more reusable and then you have interfaces into those objects. But then uh, you know each each piece should have an audit so that you have reversibility. You want to be able always in your data transactions to reverse out the transactions so you can see what what occurred and then you know you might be able to forensically reverse them out. And uh, uh, because there's, I would say, with RESTful API, it, even though it's publicly facing, there's always the possibility of failure. So transactions could fail. And so you need to have some sort of verifiability that things are the same. And, and how do you do that? Well, if you're using uh, some sort of signal art, you could detect when one thing changes so it's something more observable where if something changes over on the server then it might change over in your staging table if it changes in the staging table it might change over on the server and move away kind of from a batch mentality for keeping it in sync to more of an object uh, approach to keeping it in sync so those are some things that I'm, I'm going to think about in the future because right now I'm kind of doing things in a batch process and then know, I'm running queries on my database. Whenever there's a problem, I can take a peek on the database side, see what's going on, and then I can go run extracts over on the labor chart side and see what's going on and then do comparisons in between. So then if I have some wrong assumptions, then I can correct those assumptions and then repopulate data. Well... Listen to this podcast and uh, made a decision to invest into your machine learning and AI. And in four years from now, you'll be an expert in that field, making money, uh, analyzing big systems. Because you're, you know, you're not going to just be able to say, "Well, I'm only going to work in medium-sized systems." You may be working in big systems. Uh, maybe the AI will be helping you. Understand what's going on in those big systems, and I see the AI is being uh, very useful if it can start understanding context and then helping you understand what that context means. So even where I was, uh, you know, working yesterday, I was, I was uh, uh, formulating, you know, entities. And I was building these entities to track changes and so as I was working through that I was able to see some problems uh, fix those problems I guess the thing is, is it's all about efficiency. You know, people get really excited about efficiency. It's about profitability. So, I um, heard some news from another friend that said that the markets were going crazy, interest rates are rising, fear of high inflation. You know, why is it that interest rates rise when inflation rises? Well, it, it has to do with cheap cheaper money paying back expensive money. Um, so as things inflate that means that there's a a less buying power for the money in the future so in order for banks to adjust for that uh, decrease in buying power they need to raise interest rates and that's why banks will raise their interest rates it's not just to offset risk but it's also that there's a, a reduction, a dilution of the asset power of the money they already have loaned out. And so by raising the interest rates, they reduce, they uh, offset some of the risk that's associated from dilution of the money. So inflation is not a a good thing. Um, And it means that uh, products and Food are going to get more expensive. Gas is getting more expensive. And so the race, then, things have to get more efficient. Uh, production has to increase. And so you, you really run the risk of overproducing. You know, the Great Depression was a result of overproducing a lot of things. Uh, overproduction of wheat was one which caused the dust storms so they had speculators that were saw that there was good prices for wheat they saw there's a lot of prairie sod they could grow the wheat on the prairie sod It grew well really well so they started taking out loans and uh, breaking up the busting the sod up and planting wheat and they just kept but then they, they, had the loans and they needed to pay off the loans. So they, they borrowed more money, uh, and to increase the volume, trying to, you know, to get a win. And, uh, then as markets started to get flooded with wheat, uh, there was no wheat to, that they needed. And, uh, and then there was all this excess wheat, but then the farmers could not, uh, Pay their bills, and so they went broke, and uh, and then uh, the and the prairies were not being taken care of. They weren't uh, they weren't replanted with prairie grass sod, and uh, and soon because of the land that had been uh, converted to farmland, it start, the wind started to blow. And once the once the wind started to blow, it created its own uh, ecosystem. The, like almost like thermal currents out in in Wyoming. When uh, when the sun came up, the wind would start to blow. You know, uh, no, there was no trees. There was nothing to hold down the the, the dust, and so all this dust started to to get uh, thrown. So it's interesting. Anytime man really starts to change the balance of nature, that it can either cause overpopulation uh, or it can cause underpopulation. In this case, uh, it caused overpopulation of grass uh, insects because the birds died off. So they uh, there was this. Uh, 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 population of insects that grew and, and then the insects the grasshoppers they killed everything and uh, it was green they ate everything up and now there was no, uh, no no vegetation and then eventually when they have nothing to eat they died and then they, you know you had these mile high or two mile high dust storms that you know would basically sweep almost clear across the United States Well, I think that could be what inflation does to us too. So we have to watch and see how bad it gets.